Okay. And <laughs> welcome to <laughs> welcome to the Stronger for Life podcast. And this is your host, Cass. And today I have my guest, Melinda Hughes, from the Strength Shop with two locations, one in Echo Park and one in Pasadena. She has a master's in holistic nutrition and also been a longtime practitioner and you can say trainer uh, within, you know, evidence-based training and uh, nutrition. So welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is this is going to be a fun use of our quarantine time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. So, uh, and so I, I basically wanted to reach out to you just to one get in getting this whole podcast going on to try to you know talk talk with people and try to get some certain dialogue going on. And three, mm-hmm. just for the most part, just kind of. Almost like it's almost like I'm doing a little bit of journal, journalism, you know. Yeah, so, I like it. Yeah, so like I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, like I think, hmm? I think it's what we can do right now um, for anybody listening to this podcast in the future, way in the future. You know, right now LA has just shut us down, and we're all quarantined for uh, COVID nineteen. So it's a perfect time to create some content because that's what we're able to do at this particular point when we can't be in the studios and training clients. So it works. Okay, great, great. So uh, I basically would, you know, want to ask a few questions about like what are, uh, well, a few things that has been going through your mind about, say, easing fears or just learning how to kind of keep calm and, you know, also uh, uh, stuff that you've been learning throughout the years of uh, training against, uh, uh, you know, going against pretty much hardships. I'm pretty sure that, you know, we, uh, we all face hardships and yeah. you've been in, in business for more than a decade. So I'm pretty sure you're well acquainted with hardships. So I, I want to hear about your experiences there. Um, I think like the, the big thing, especially with this coronavirus and the shutdowns and, you know, kind of basically a halt to the economy um, and a halt to business, it's kind of, it's unprecedented and we don't really know when it will end and what the outcomes will be. So what's been really interesting in this particular instance um, is you're just kind of like making decisions day by day and, you know, trying your best to understand what's going on. And I think like the, you know, I'm probably not unlike most of the U S or certainly the LA area where you don't, you know, as, as things were unfolding in Italy, you become, you learn more and more the seriousness of what's going on. So it, it's something that, you know, two months ago, even though we were hearing about the coronavirus and China and then Italy, um, for the most part, that, I mean, that's the news that was hitting us. If you weren't really looking into it. You, you know, you're, you're hearing about it, but the reality of what this is, isn't really setting in. And so I think as this unfolds, you know, it's, 
the reality sets in and, and you're forced to do things much differently than you've done before. So right now, Strange Job, we're offering virtual training sessions. That's not something that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was never the business plan for me. It was never something that I was even interested in offering. Mm-hmm. And now my trainers are training um, whoever of our clients wants a virtual training session online. And it's something that, you know, over the weekend, I developed with one of my instructors, the person, Diana, who's been with me the longest, mm-hmm. um, who designed this virtual workout based on slow training travel routines. And then I taught the rest of my staff one by one through FaceTime or Skype. And, and so that's kind of what we've been doing. So it's been interesting to see um, just from a business owner standpoint, the things, the decisions you have to make and the changes you have to make in how you operate your business and then how, you know, the teamwork of your staff that, that goes into that. And I think you've probably done virtual sessions long before this. Oh, yeah, I have. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it was something that you were already doing. But for us, we were like, you know, this is new to us, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, yeah, it, there are so certain challenges and there are certain things where, you know, like you really have to learn as you go. And, uh, you know, uh, there's, you know, one of, one of the things I wanted to ask is about like the idea of expectations and then of actually developing the real, real, real experience. And, and, you know, you see how sometimes there's like a discrepancy, like, whoa, there's, I didn't expect this to actually really happen. So I, I'm guessing you, you know, like you're really learning that as you kind of go on. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, it's just kind of a work in progress, you know, and it doesn't compare to anything else that, you know, yeah. that's ever happened. So, but I mean, that's, that is kind of the, the journey of a business owner is you don't know what's going to be a challenge until it's a challenge. And then once you overcome that, you're, you know, it's just something that's happened in the past at that point. So, so yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm guessing that you would say that having a skill of being kind of really fluid and flexible and knowing how to adapt and change is really useful as even in general, not just only as a, a business owner, but as a person, as a, you know, just just pretty much everything. Would you agree about that uh, with that statement? Oh, absolutely. I think, like, yeah, the, the more flexible you are, the more, um, no matter what you're doing in the world, um, whether it's a company or a person, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. The more flexible you are and able to adapt to circumstances as they change, I think that that's like even when you look at businesses, um, you know, like you'll see, I, I don't know, I've always seen businesses, Blockbuster is a great example, mm-hmm. right? So when the, the, when the world changed, Blockbuster didn't change with it, and so they went out of business. But if Blockbuster would have, you know, um, adapted to what Netflix was bringing into the world, they could have been 
a second competitor with Netflix. You know what I mean? They could have, mm-hmm. I mean, Amazon has streaming video and, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a million of them now, Hulu. And there was no reason that Blockbuster couldn't adapt their model and start offering, um, you know, the same type of service that, that, um, Netflix. So it, it's weird that they just went out of business. I mean, I'm assuming they're out of business. Mm. Yeah, I I haven't heard about Blockbuster in like since I since I was a kid. So I'm just thinking, oh my god, that's a really old name that you just mentioned. Yeah, I think that they're totally out of business, but they didn't have to be. It didn't have to go down like that. They could have offered, you know, they could have offered a virtual model, a more Netflix model, and Mm -hmm. then as if as their, you know virtual model or online model took over, they could have slowly closed their stores, like, and transitioned into that completely without going out of business. But, yeah, it's a weird thing. So, definitely from a business standpoint, if you're not able to evolve as things, as the world changes, you don't, you won't sometimes survive. And I think that that's true for individual people as well. You know, if you have, I think that that's the biggest um, factor in personal disappointment with your own life. If you have like a vision of how you want your life to be or a vision of how you want something to turn out and it doesn't turn out exactly that way, um, people become very dissatisfied. Whereas if you can accept that things aren't going to be sometimes the exact way you envisioned them and you can roll with the punches a little bit and make the best of what you're given or the best of what the circumstances are, sometimes you can change it into something that's even better than what you originally envisioned. But you have to be willing to let go of that first vision. You know, you have to be willing to um, deal with what's actually in the present moment and not what you wanted to to be in the present moment. Ah, so so I'm guessing that it, that even applies even when you were training clients and and in general we're working with people uh, that 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 has been brought up so many times. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I definitely. I think that um, it's always been, you know, when even in in the given workout when you're working with someone, <laughs> you know, there's expectations. I mean, that's like, that happens to us when somebody walks in the door and we've planned their workout, we've set all the machines for them, they've walked through the door, and now they tell us that they have a shoulder injury. Well, the whole thing has to change, you know? Yeah. So you have to to work with what just walked through the door instead of forcing through what you had planned for, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, haven't you heard about like stories about how in my particular case, I actually heard a few clients um talk about like they had seen personal trainers or or you know like even group training or anything that they were made to do certain activities that just kind of like really messed them up. Like yeah, like yeah. for example, you had the, the one of them said, "Oh yeah, I have like a knee injury or really knee knees," but they were made to do plyometrics and box jumps. Yeah, and, not great. Yeah. And so I'm guessing that uh, you pretty much heard about uh, certain stories where, yeah, you know, like people have been kind of net negligent, and yeah, yeah and 
well, you want to share about a few experiences or uh, certain things about that that, you know. Yeah, I think that uh, the vast majority of personal trainers that I've encountered, um, just being a colleague in the field, um, they're going, and and it actually uh, very, very, very much so applies to nutrition, the nutrition of, you know, nutrition practitioners as well. Mm-hmm. Most personal trainers and nutrition practitioners are advising people based on what's worked for them. And they're not really taking into account that other people are different from them, um, from their genetics, mm. from their, from their, you know, where they are as far as their fitness level. And I think that that is, that's the reason that people come to the strength shop, for instance, coming, coming off of injuries from, um, doing other types of training or working with other personal trainers because those people are basically giving that giving each person the workout that works for them. And that doesn't work for every person. You have to deal with somebody's knee issues or somebody's hip replacement or somebody's back surgery or neck injury. You know, you can't just apply this one size fits all workout that works for you because you have a different body than the than, you know, your client. Um, same thing with nutrition. It happens all the time where I'm, you know, always coming across nutrition practitioners, whether they're nutritionists or health coaches, who are recommending whatever diet they follow. So they believe in, for instance, the vegan diet. Oh, they Jesus. They believe in, for instance, the paleo diet. And so they're just blankets putting that on every other human being. And for some people, that is very, very wrong. It's contra, you know, it, it's, it's not at all what those people should be doing. Mm-hmm. But you've got practitioners, professionals in the field, just kind of slapping that same one size fits all type approach to every person they work with, which is really, I, I find to be very dangerous. So yeah, if you, if you can't get off of your own dogma, if you can't um, release the judgment of others based on how they're eating or how they're working out or, you know, be able to adapt whatever your approach is for that individual. It's difficult for me um in my work, a lot of times I will be working with someone who holds beliefs about food, whether from their religion or from um, an ethical standpoint for animals, that they do not want to eat certain foods or do not want to eat in a certain way. Um, but I know from a nutritional body standpoint that that's doing them harm. And I have to find that's that's my biggest challenge as a nutrition practitioner is what what happens when someone's ethical or religious beliefs are really um, preventing them from being able to being able to follow the diet, the dietary guidelines that their body actually needs and how to get them close to what their body needs, but still in line with what they ethically or religiously believe so that they'll do it, you know. 
yeah, trying to reconcile those two things are really, really difficult because yeah, from what I'm hearing is that you are trying to work from a bot a bottom a bottom up type of approach where majority of the time, a lot of people just say uh like uh you know some uh dogmatic practitioners yeah they they work from top to bottom as in they looked at an observ certain observation uh observation. And they assume, oh, since this works and it works for me, it should therefore work for another person. As opposed to saying, okay, let's look at what's happening on a cellular level and uh, reconstruct and see what it, what is the basis of, you know, grounded in good scientific uh, science and work our way uh, upwards towards, you know, on the macro level. And I, I can see how, you know, yeah, and generally speaking, it would be really difficult, but I'm pretty sure that this means that you would have to educate a lot of people and a lot of clients to be able to actually, you know, get over certain barriers. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I find that as a nutrition professional, but as a trainer as well, your number one job is education. Mm. Don't you feel the same way? Yes, I do. That's the that's the thing that we do over and over again is you're just educating people on what certain foods do to their body, what certain foods don't do to their body. And then as a trainer, what what to do to protect their shoulder from being re-injured. What, you know, you're just educating people constantly how to make exercise effective. I mean, and especially with the type of exercise that you and I teach, um, you know, to the peoples, it's, it's, um, goes against everything that they've heard about exercise and the, I guess, accepted view of what exercise is. I mean, I think the over and over again, the first thing that I really educate people on when they come in is like exercise is not about burning calories to lose weight. People think that they're exercising in order to burn calories. And it's like, that's not the point of exercise. Exercise burns very few calories mm-hmm. when you really when you're really quantifying the numbers and you're really like looking at what the effect exercise has on weight loss of um, through burning calories it's ridiculous but that's what people think that they're doing so you have to educate them and say like no actually exercise is about strengthening the body mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's about building muscle so that muscle is burning more calories and raising your base level metabolism. Like it, it's not, uh, you know, the, the belief that people have about exercise is not the reality of what exercise is or does. So you're constantly in teaching people uh, this high intensity, slow cadence exercise. You're constantly kind of myth busting or, breaking, you know, breaking through some of their false beliefs and, and re-educating them on what actually exercise does for the body and how to do it appropriately so that you get the most out of it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I mean, not only that, but I think that the whole um, preconceived notions about exercise is also based on old thoughts about even for example like calories in calories out is the only thing that actually matters and 
I'm basically going to say, well, if you did your research, you would understand the word of, of calories. It was a, a particularly used by uh, out of water when he was uh, originally, you know, the, uh, trying to figure out a, a physiological way to be able to turn chemical en- energy, right, and translate. Like, for okay. example, how much energy it, it, it does it take to uh, or uh, is given off to raise one Celsius of water or, or, or heat, right? And, you know, from calories to joules. And it, it, it's kind of like it's been taken that these calories in, calories out has become like a religion. And that's why people start saying, oh, yeah, you know, if um, I do, I, if I run a marathon, I'm going to burn a lot of calories and I'm, I'm you know, going to et cetera, et cetera. But we've also seen how, you know, ex- overly exercising, excessively exercising and even trying to attempt a marathon, we end up having like a lot of, um, you could say, uh, problems, which, yeah. you know, to be honest, I, I'm not exactly sure where you stand on it, but I usually don't like to recommend running for uh, to most people just, uh, because for the most part, it's, it, it, you know, what you can gain out of it versus what you potentially, you know, are risking is it's just it's so skewered. Yeah, I mean, I I very highly discourage running unless you're trying to catch the bus or something. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, in that, in that's <laughs> briefcase. Okay, yeah, sure. But, like, running. Unless you're, unless you're running from your li- for your life. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you, and you notice how that, that in itself, it's much more different than, say, running marathons over and over and over where right. you're, like, you're running miles upon miles upon miles per week. And, of course, you know, they, they assume since I'm running all these miles, I get to eat all all this garbage that I want just because, you know, I'm burning up all these calories. What they fail to realize, I, you know, is... I will say that my brother is an ultra marathon runner. Mm-hmm. So he runs the, like, ultra, like, the crazy ones that where you're running for, like, a day. Or oh, Jesus you know? Christ. Like, it's insane. Um, and I've talked to him about it and it's interesting. I mean, here's the thing, like for him running a marathon is his greatest love. It's like where he's, um, reconnecting with himself in a way that like maybe other people do through meditation or through dance or through art or through, I don't know, mm-hmm. playing with their dog or I don't know, reading a book or something. Um, so the benefits to him personally of running in that regard are very high. Mm -hmm. And he has also acknowledged to me that the demands of running marathons on the body are extremely high. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is he told me that one of the things that he's noticed from running all these marathons is that the people who are older, you know, the people who are who are running these marathons and are older than, like, say, the age of forty, mm-hmm. they did not run when they were younger. They didn't. They weren't running as teenagers and twenty somethings. They took up running much later in life, and that's. I mean, this is from my brother's experience. So it's not like I'm quoting a study here or something or mm-hmm. my own experience. This is what my brother's noticed from running with people. 
when he's talked to people and said, hey, when did you start running? Um, and then the people who run when they're younger, they don't run. He So basically what my brothers described is, yes, when you're running a marathon, there are people who are very young and there are people of all ages to much older running these marathons. But they weren't, there's nobody running marathons like that for 40, 50 years. You know what I mean? Like there's kind of a shelf life for the mm. body of running marathons. And so he's acknowledged that to me, and I'm like, that's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that, you know, if something is health-promoting for the body, there won't be a shelf life on it. You know what I mean? There yeah. won't be, like, a limitation that your, your body's only going to be able to do this when it's, you know... Young. And I think that that's what we see with a lot of other types of workouts is that you can do it when you're young and healthy, but when you get older and your body starts to break down, those workouts are no longer feasible. They're no longer options for those people. Well, then they shouldn't be options when your body is healthy because it's not safe. It's not gentle. It's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a... There's a negative benefit that goes along with the positive benefit. So that's what I like about high-intensity slowness training is that being, you know, as it were designed for 80 to 90-year-old patients with osteoporosis, it's super safe. So you're getting all the benefits of, you know, an amazing exercise program with none of those negative aspects with, you know, not, you're not getting the wear and tear on your body in a way that you would be with, you know, some of these other workouts. So you're getting the effectiveness, the benefit of the exercise to the body, which is strengthening the body, improving the integrity of your skeleton and your joints without the negative impact, which is the, you know, that wear and tear or the shelf life or the high risk of injury. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, wouldn't you say that almost as if, like, uh, uh, the resistance training that we actually kind of uh, promote is almost like a, a very potent and safe drug, a dose that is based on dose-dependent uh, uh, dose dependent and uh, upon, you know, the, the person who is uh, particularly, you know, undergoing through it. It's, uh, the, way, the way I start seeing it is almost like, yeah, it's a really potent and effective drug. And, you know, without all the the bad effects that these other, uh, if we were to see exercise uh, as a drug, uh, other types of drugs, you know, uh, may have. Like, for example, yeah, I mean, like running. I mean, the whole idea of a marathon. Uh, it, it remember even the name of marathon about the messenger that ran from Athens yeah. to, to marathon. And what did he do afterwards when he uh, when he ran? Uh, 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 he delivered that message. He dropped dead. So yeah, your your body's not meant to do that. It really takes your body takes quite a hit. Yeah, so I'm just thinking we're we're basing our fitness and uh, health and longevity on an activity that killed the first person who did a marathon. <laughs> yeah, it is very uh, yeah it's 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 yeah it's opposite of 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 what you would think one would glean from that story, but. 
Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like after all, you know, with Kenneth Cooper, uh, in, I think promoting, uh, you know, he was, I, I get what mentioning about coining the term aerobics, and yeah. you know, at, even now he's pretty much had to retract all his statements that it will help uh, towards longevity and a, a good health, and and it's basically now simply not true. I mean, e- even then, like, uh, interesting enough, uh, it's. Uh, at least one good thing has kind of came uh, from, you know, pretty much people doing, uh, you can say, these long marathons and aerobic training. And it, it starts it starts actually showing a remarkable difference uh, of in physiology between men and women. And, you know, like how m- men and women actually how they respond to exercise is quite, quite different and, you know, has... I actually wanted to touch upon upon this a little bit just to see if that has also been your experience about how training men and women have been kind of really different. Even in it, it you know, topics about the psychology of it is is open to discuss. Yeah, um, I haven't because I have no quantifiable way to measure the inside of my client's bodies and mm-hmm. how it responds to the stimulus that we're providing. Mm-hmm. I can't really speak to the physiological differences so mm-hmm. much of between men and women doing the same kind of um, method. Mm-hmm. Um, other than if a man has a build that would naturally lean toward bulking, Mm-hmm. Uh, then, you know, that's a huge difference that you can see is that typically women don't become bulky from weight training, mm-hmm. they become smaller in size, and men, um, if they're if they have the genetic, you know, tendency towards bulking up, they will, and that's something that you can see a difference in the response between men and women to the same stimulus, you know, yeah, um, certainly. But the psychological differences are there. Um, a lot of times. And you know what? It's not even so much psychologically the differences between men and women as the genders, uh, as the genders sorry them. Mm-hmm. It's more like what that person's personality mm. is. You know, are they? Do they have a more? Um, do they have a more? Uh, you know, feminine personality or quote unquote masculine personality, you know, there are tenets of masculinity and femininity that are not necessarily assigned uh, or don't necessarily correlate with what gender you're born. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I would say that a very masculine approach to exercise or that masculine, those masculine, um, uh, qualities of a personality are someone who is concerned with numbers and quantifying the workout and competitively trying to beat their score from last week, um, who are concerned with how much weight they're lifting and how many times they're lifting it. Um, there's definitely more of a focus on the numbers and the measurements and um, getting to the goal. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I actually people. noticed that. Right. Yeah. As I would describe a more feminine personality or traits or a more feminine approach to the workout is how do I feel? How are my clothes fitting? 
um, to, you know, like more being more embodied, meaning like I can feel the right muscles working. I felt like I was losing or I felt like I was using my lats during that exercise. It's definitely more based in the feeling and not so concerned with how much do I weigh? What is my size? You know, that's more of the masculine approach that mm-hmm. might be within a feminine body is like, I weigh X amount of pounds or I'm a size this, or that or the other thing, you know, whereas a more feminine approach, whether you're a man or a woman would be, I feel great. I feel strong. I feel healthy. Um, I can feel that my, you know, my body is stronger. I can feel like my immune systems. I have more energy. It's more based in feeling. Mm. So psychologically, the approach is different when working with people who have a more masculine approach to their fitness versus a more feminine approach. The um, masculine approach, in my experience, and it could just be who I am, is more difficult to train for me because they're more concerned about finishing that last rep in um, some ways and beating their last time. And sometimes you come in, I mean, a lot of time, you're always coming in pre-exhausted. It's just like how exhausted is someone coming in? What was their diet like? What was their sleep like? And that's going to affect their times and how much weight they can lift. Mm -hmm. So you might have a better workout but lower times on the chart. And so sometimes my masculine clients, my masculine approaching clients, whether they're male or female, um, have a difficult time really understanding that concept of, like, you actually had a better workout today, even though your times weren't very long because of what what I saw you do. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter how long you lifted the weight or how much weight it was. You know, you worked to a level of exhaustion that was pretty intense, and that's the point of it. Yeah, I mean, definitely yeah. the, the fact that you actually po- kind of pointed this out is – Something that uh, I actually noticed within even our industry is that, you know, this kind of need for, okay, how much, you know, to quantify certain numbers and, or, you know, like how much you live or et cetera, et cetera. And I, I mean, yes, it does have a certain place. Yes, it, it can be kind of helpful. But at the same time, I'm just thinking, you know, it, that, that, you know, it kind of detract, detracts you from the, the actual human experience and wh- what I consider like uh, entering the zone. So once you, you know, I, I usually end up going through a, a, a session and I, I'm just kind of like afterwards, I'm pretty much out of it. I mean, I'm pretty sure I, I depleted my dopamine levels and my serotonin is kind of like r- r- rising at that, in response from it. And I'm just like, yeah, there there is a certain experience that I didn't even give a crap about what uh, how much I lifted or uh, all, all those numbers. It it just kind of like it was a very human like just human experience. And I I think yeah. that if you if you're you kind of ignore you know like uh, ignore ignore that and just focus on numbers, yeah, then uh, you could be missing out on a very profound experience and, and, and human connection, I guess. Yeah. And there are some people who have this masculine approach to numbers that almost like when they beat their number from last time, they quit. 
And it's like, that's not muscle exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> right, right. So right. <laughs> it, it, sometimes that approach can work against you. I really feel that there's a place, um, there should be a balance between the masculine and the feminine approach yeah. to uh, a workout. You know, there is a place for measurements. Like, we do want to make sure that we're, you know, like, I try to teach my clients, like, it's not your job to be concerned about the numbers. It's my job. Like, I'm making sure numbers are in order and that we're gaining strength and that you're, you know, in in looking at the chart, I can decide where I'm going to take you. I know where you need to go. I know where you've been. And I also know um, how to do that safely based on the numbers that I'm looking at. Um, and that's what that's what it serves, you know, because the numbers are a tool and only a tool to help get us to where we actually want to get, you know, the, 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 you know, achieve that goal we actually want to achieve, which is the stimulus. Yeah, that, that you know, stimulus. Strength, a healthier body, a stronger immune system. A healthier cardiovascular system. So the, those are the actual goals, and the approaches are just tools that we use to, to get to the to that ultimate goal. Um, and they both have a place, both the masculine approach and the feminine approach. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. It, it, definitely, and it, it also kind of reminded reminded me of um, I'm not sure if you uh, followed uh, Dr. Doug McGuff's uh, uh, YouTube where he basically he had a, a, a SOR uh, the Stimulus Organism Response revisited, and he basically mm. yeah he he basically kind of revisited and said yeah you know what the stimulus you know it can be highly variable of how uh, you know how we get there. And because the organism is pretty, you know, when it comes to response, it's pretty smart. So as long as we get that, you know, any stim, uh, that proper stimulus at all, the organism will make that, that ap- adaptation. So you, you, there will be a response. And right. it, it's kind of one of the reasons why I, I, I'm, you know, I have a, uh, I even changed a lot of my stances when it comes to training, just because I realized that there is, you know, not just only one way to do things and that you uh, you have to tie your worth or value to a particular number or you have to do this or do that. And really, it's, it's, it's the adaptation that that stimulus is really just pretty much the key. And how you get there is like, yeah, you you can use a lot of tools. And, and I mean, for example, like using static contractions versus, you know, do you need to actually do dynamic uh, uh, repetitions versus static uh, uh, contractions and some people yeah. would still argue like yeah you have to do dynamic to be able to get like any gains at all well i think that that's like exactly it circles back to the point we made earlier is that you can't just apply this one size fits all because there are going to be people who it's more appropriate for them to do dynamic movement. And I'm thinking about people who've lost range of motion or mm-hmm. lost flexibility in their body. And so one of the ways that you can regain that flexibility and regain that functional range of motion is by doing dynamic movement. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people who are injured and that doing a dynamic movement is going to re-injure them or mm-hmm. exacerbate their injury or cause them pain. And so you kind of have to go with what, that what who that person is and what that person needs in any given moment and it can change 
based on what, you know, who was walking in the door. So it's definitely speaks to what we were talking about before, where you can't just slap a one size fits all <laughs> approach or, you know, like, oh, this is the workout. Everybody do this same workout, which is why workout videos are inherently flawed. You don't have an instructor who's adapting the movements to you. You know, working with one-on-one with a personal trainer is never going to, um, you know, it's never going to be uh, extinct or like, you know, it, it's never going to be invaluable, I guess is what I'm saying, or is always invaluable. As, That's what I'm trying to say. As in? It's always, it's mm-hmm. never going to not need it. Like, it's always, it's always better to have somebody with you making sure that you're not going to injure yourself, monitoring your form, and then making that workout the most appropriate workout for your body at that particular moment in time. And you can't get that from a a workout video. And you can't uh, a lot of times get that in a class where it's one instructor versus 20 or more people. Oh, Jesus. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's one thing that has been kind of ignored, even with our current health and fitness industry. I mean, that's why I'm pretty sure that's why you were kind of hesitant with the whole online training, because you yeah. prob- you didn't want to give a one size fits all type of protocol and routine for different types of bodies and di- different types of um, needs and challenges and uh, wants. Right. Exactly. And, the, you know, the. um one-on-one model still works virtually. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot more difficult yeah, um, it is. to see somebody's form and be able to correct somebody's form when you're in a virtual situation. Yeah. However, it's obviously when given no choice whatsoever, you can make it work. Um, it is, you know, it, I think it's way more valuable to have one-on-one virtual training than it is to just look at a video and do it yourself. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> For so many different reasons. Number one, form and um, customizing that workout to the individual, mm-hmm. but also because no one's going to work as hard as they need to work to stimulate the body the way that it needs to be stimulated if they're not being held accountable in some way. Oh, yeah, Definitely. Um, and 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 I, what even when I've uh, actually uh, just recently uh, today I actually trained a client virtually on, uh, on, online and using of course through uh, actually through this messenger uh, uh, FaceTime uh, messenger and literally because I've done in person training with this uh, this client right like mm-hmm. I I could even upon uh, doing it virtually I was able to get roughly almost the same commands the same responses and train and treatment response. And I, I knew exactly it, even by uh, looking through the, that FaceTime uh, moment and where they, how they were moving, where to stop them, when and when to be able to basically encourage, okay, uh, stop. Uh, okay. Have a good uh, stop right here and good. Have transition over into this particular, uh, you know, range. And then basically just kind of give them that, that, that safe, limit and range and what I realized is that yeah you know when when you have somebody who's in trained and in, in doing something like that they, they can almost like respond almost in a classical uh, classical uh, Polivian uh, type of manner 
if yeah 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 i know exactly what you're saying yeah and i'm like okay wow all right so this is um definitely in treatment and they were still capable of training pretty damn hard despite mm-hmm. it being virtual and i was not physically there so yeah. so that that's kind of like whoa okay all right one of our clients told me to this week that he thought the virtual workout was more intense. <laughs> oh. I was like, that's funny. Like, you can really, no, it's true. I yeah. Mean, yeah. And I was like, well, you know. You know, no, that, that's the it exact same really thing well. that my client just kind of said uh, earlier today that it was a lot more harder because also, one, he had to uh, change um a few things on his own, you know, particularly uh, his uh, his own home machine. And two, um, he basically said that, yeah, there was a lot of things that he had to tra- uh, track. And when he's fatigued and tired, he's just kind of like, man, it, 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 yeah. he, he started really appreciating all the things that I originally d- did for him. <laughs> so he started yeah, really. I, appre- <laughs> I also think that it's when people are used to one workout and you switch to something that's a little bit different, your body is going to experience some soreness. Oh yeah. Because it's a new, they're new movements. Novels. And yeah. So people are like, Ooh, you know, this is better. Well, it's like, it's just different. Oh yeah. I mean, like I, I'm guessing now, even a lot of people are getting into using body weight or, mm-hmm. you know, limited equipment. I, I mean, uh, just uh, recently uh, I actually made a small little video about using, um, it's, it's called a wider, uh, total body works or ultimate body works. It's almost like a total gym and it mm-hmm. works roughly, re- really, really good at this because the thing is I got this thing. It's just like, Oh, I got it for $25. And I said, okay, I just get it. I've been experimenting with it and I made a video and, you know, of course in the body by science uh, group, they, it, somebody commented, hey, anybody got experience on using uh, a total body gym? And I basically said, yeah, it's, it works pretty pretty well. I mean, you could also get a workout with, uh, I made a particularly a small little video about using the uh, forearm forklift strap. And uh-huh. yeah, like, let's just say this, this, this is a, it's, it's, it's pretty versatile and pretty amazing on what it can do for in muscle inroading. It's, and I, I'm just thinking, man, this is like for something that cost me like less than ten bucks, and there was another strap. Like, it's it, it's just amazing. It does its job. <laughs> yeah, it def- definitely. And and that speaks to what you were saying before: is that there's a lot of different ways to exhaust the body. Yeah. But you got to look at what's the safest thing you can do. Number one, and then you know. What's the most effective? I guess number two. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely, def- definitely. And let's see. Uh, wait, I have to quickly check out, uh, check up on uh, time. Okay, we're still good. Um, so in the next actually topic that I wanted to ask, since you know uh-huh. you're still doing your your masters and about particularly about talking about the science and literature about especially about grant uh, grant funding research potential problems of that and I I'm you know we did talk about this earlier within our you know our, our coffee uh get together and how I kind of like uh you know accidentally spilled uh, spit out my coffee oh is that when you spit your coffee at me yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm sorry oh, about that yeah 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 so and, we were talking about how 
a lot of studies are funded. Okay, studies have to be funded. Somebody mm-hmm. has to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And the people who pay for it, typically they're paying for it because they have a vested interest in the outcome. Either mm-hmm. they're going to use it to advertise their product or their medication or whatever. So when we get these results of studies back, sometimes it's inherently flawed. And the example I used that caused you to hear your coffee <laughs> in my face was that it was a study talking about how every, like, American or person should eat three to five servings. Of- <laughs> you did it again. I'm sorry. This time the coffee couldn't hit me in the face. Um, but that, you know, the that, that everybody should be eating that many servings of soybeans. And then when you look at the fine print, it was, you know, funded by the soybean industry and the write-up and the study was conducted by the president of the Soybean Association. And so it's like, you know, the people behind fund the funding of the study and the people behind the reporting of the results of the study are going to cherry pick that information because they have a vested financial interest in the outcome. And that is, you know, that's wrong. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, like I actually looked into uh, a few of these uh, supposed studies, especially with ketogenic diets. And Mm -hmm. there was one, um, I think it was a, Dominic uh, Augustino was it? I can't, I can't remember. He, he he was like one particular researcher that was doing studies on you know the ketogenic diets and even uh, usage and exercise, and he had vested interests in people who were selling supplements with ketones. Right. Yeah, and I'm like, well, yeah, of course you're gonna do uh, research. Uh, particularly it's, on ketogenic diets that produces right? ketones is because you're, you're, you have interest, vested interest in it. Of course, you're going to try to promote that. Hey, ketogenic diets are really good. You should get some. Oh yeah. We're also hap- uh, happily uh, selling ketones. So go ahead and buy them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, yeah, it's like, Oh, here I fund, I funded this study that talks about how great ketones are. And you can buy them from me with this link. You know what I mean? It's it's so ridiculous. Yeah, and even then, I I still look, try to look at, at the research. And anyways, and I try to look at okay, does a ketogenic diet help build a muscle? A muscle, particularly induce a, a myofibrillar hypertrophy. And apparently, they were going to do studies on that, particularly usage of a ketogenic diet, right? I still have, it's been years. I still haven't seen the, that research. I'm pretty sure that they did do the research. Is that the findings has mm-hmm. been like not what they usable, so they didn't use it. Yeah, so they, they probably threw it out. And I'm just thinking, ah, uh, so, and it, 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 it would probably say, you know, buying these ketone products is probably garbage and you're wasting your money. So I'm just thinking, oh, but unfortunately, we're 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 in still in that state of a lot of misinformation. I I still call it the, mm-hmm. the wild west. It's basically the wild west yeah. when it comes to like That's even exactly a lot of research. What happened to those studies is that they couldn't sell the products with the results, so they just threw them away. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure you've kind of seen 
lots of instances of that kind of happening. And it made me really even think about the, you know, the connotations of being a researcher, you know, you do have to basically have to get grant funding and, and even grant writing. And basically you just have to beg, you have to beg people for money so that you can fund your research. And for some people who actually undergo through the the research path, you know, if they have, you know, they're in a particular field where, you know, money is not a problem. Yeah. They can do almost whatever they want, you know, like with that, you know, yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, like funding a certain research, but other people, they basically have to beg. And I'm, I'm just thinking, man, that's, that's, that's harsh. I know it's interesting. And here we are on the ground floor doing our own research by working with tons of people over a decade. Mm-hmm. And you can't publish that research because it's not formal. But oh, it's yeah. Like, it's more valid, in my mind, than research that is formal and paid for. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean- not, it's not corrupt. I mean, not only that, I remember when I tried asking uh, Dr. Doug McGuff uh, one particular question about uh, the recovery rate between men and women in response to a high intensity session, right? The, the way, the way we do our, our training. And he basically said, yeah, to be able to answer that one question, we would, he would, it would take about like almost more than half a million dollars to fund for that just one particular question. I'm thinking, <laughs> just to answer this one question. Yeah. So I, I'm just thinking, man, this is this. There's something inherently wrong with the fact that how we are basically setting things up. That it, it, just to be able to even answer certain uh, particular questions and just having, you know, basically good science. And I, I mean, that's not to say that I, I, I don't. Look at the research, anyways. I, I still want to, and I, I still kind of try to get a sense of a cohesive framework. But right. even then, I, I there are some things, uh, some research. I'm just thinking, I'm taking it for a grain of salt because, you know, some of it is really sketchy, or just there is such thing as bad science. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you have to really know how to read those studies particularly to see who funded it and who's, you know, who's going to be able to use it as, as far as financial gain, because, you know, then you can discern what's good science and what's not. And that's like, you know, really going to help people. Or, or like, even, or even if it's relevant, I mean, remember, yeah. like, for example, like one particular study about the ketogenic diet having a, a benefits uh, uh, for fat loss well, that study was done in men, older aged men, and their physiological response is a lot significantly a lot different than women, and even postmenopausal women. And I'm and I'm just thinking, see, but they're promoting, oh yeah, ketogenic diets are the, you know, they will help you lose weight, lose fat, and that's what it been it has been the hot, the hot, latest hottest topic that they've been pushing onto people when. In general, like when I actually experimented with a ketogenic diet, like mm-hmm. I had really bad uh, effects uh, of it. it, just because, you know, uh, at some point I actually even kind of, uh, oh, uh, lost my cycle. Cause you were, yeah, because you were starving. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, 
Because it's starvation. And, and I, I didn't realize until later that a ketogenic diet pretty much mimics starvation. And women in, in general are a lot more sensitive towards uh, these uh, ener- uh, energy deficits and energy uh, deprivation. Yeah. And we respond to it very, very aggressively and very, very quickly compared to men. Men, you know, like, yeah, you can probably starve them and, like, make them do a lot of activity and they will lose weight. But women, uh uh-uh, no, it's not going to work that way. No, absolutely not, right? Yeah, and unfortunately, I'm pretty sure that after that research kind of came out and these, you know, like – I guess these people's magazines or yeah, a diet or nutrition type of magazines been constantly trying to push it uh, onto people. And that's why, you know, unfortunately, I'm pretty sure that that's why a lot of uh, uh, young women or, or, or women uh, in their college years or so have been trying to do it and then maybe have been wrecking their health in the, in the process. Yeah, you're damaging your body by doing it. Yeah, and it's sold to you as something to make you healthier. It's just awful. I'm I'm pretty sure you've kind of seen that as in your own practice as well. That this you know this yeah. type of you know thing has been happening. And I wanted to ask about you know your experiences and your thoughts about it. And basically, what have you been doing to kind of uh, I guess you could say mitigate the problem. Yeah, um, with the ketogenic diet specifically um just oh did i lose you no 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 i'm still here i'm still here i hit a button on my phone oh (laughs) okay okay i'm still here yeah the um ketogenic diet specifically i've been just educating people i mean that's and that's the thing it's like education is our primary job Mm -hmm. to just really um in a lot of cases with clients, I've had to um, find studies that were unbiased, explain to them, these are the unbiased studies, take a, take a look, mm-hmm. and then just have those studies speak for themselves. And then sometimes with a client, it can be a lot more obvious than that based on their personal experience. So mm-hmm. if you have somebody coming in who's been trying something crazy that they read in one of those health magazines. Oh, geez. Um, you can always say, like, well, how's that worked for you? Oh, it hasn't worked for you? Okay. Well, then maybe try it my way instead and see how that works. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's like. It's, it's like <laughs> it's starving yourself or cutting calories or over-exercising or going on a starvation diet like the ketogenic diet hasn't worked for you for maintainable weight loss or increased um, benefits to your health in any way whatsoever, then maybe try a different approach at this point. Yeah. So that's like, that can be a really powerful way to educate people. It's just to kind of point out that the things that they're doing, that they're so attached to doing because they've read that it's thing that they should be doing isn't really working. Yeah. I mean, not only that, but also because they've been throwing out, uh, out the whole insulin hypothesis uh, as insulin is the culprit. It is all the uh, it causes all the ills of health, and you know you're gonna get cancer and you're gonna get sick from it. But what they fail to realize with insulin is that without insulin, you basically die without it. I mean, your body, your body is never the enemy. Yeah, your body is never the enemy. 
it isn't your body's fault that it looks or feels the way it does. You know what I mean? It's yeah. The human being on the outside manipulating things in a way that it shouldn't be. So it's never going to be the fault of insulin or whatever. Like it's just not. Uh, and certain bodies have certain pre-existing genetic whatever. But mm-hmm. that's your job. That is your number one job in the world is to learn your body, how it works, what it responds to and how it responds, and then do that. And there are there is a you know, a general rule of we're all human beings and so this type of thing is going to cause our human bodies to respond in this way, but then there's parts that are very, very individualized there's mm-hmm. aspects of it that are very individualized meaning if i eat eggs my feet are going to itch you know <laughs> um, whereas you don't have that problem you know yeah so i mean our bodies respond to things in different ways and it's our responsibility to learn what those things are and to respond appropriately I'm not going to be eating eggs for breakfast any, anymore. You know, like, I, I, that stopped when I learned that my eczema was caused by eating eggs. So you stop eating eggs. Yeah, I mean, that definitely. Sounds, sounds like uh, probably a, a, an allergen uh, for a casein yeah. or something, or maybe an, uh, the, uh, of the albium uh, in it. And it's genetic, too. Yeah. For me, specifically, it's genetics. My mom and my brother are exactly the same. They have the... Same egg allergy. And and I'm just thinking, you know what? It just would be so much easier if we all got like a manual of how the human body works or how our our bodies works. But apparently, yeah. nope, we have to do it the hard way. <laughs> What's interesting, though, is my mother, when she eats a like, this is an interesting example just within my own family. Okay, so we're all allergic. My mom, my brother, and I are all allergic to eggs. When my mom eats eggs, she gets gastrointestinal upset. So she'll usually, that would be diarrhea. Hmm. I eat eggs, my skin itches, and I get these tiny little blisters, and those itch like a mofo, and it's awful. When my brother eats eggs, his throat closes up. Jesus. So you've got, within the same immediate family... You've got a genetic component there of a response to eating eggs that is unlike a lot of the other human beings in the world. But the individual body's responses in each of those three cases is very different, which is interesting to me. Yeah. We don't have the same reaction, even though we have the same reaction. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, we all have the same our body doesn't like eggs reaction, but our body chooses to react in a way to say, I don't like eggs in a very different way between the three of us, which it, is interesting to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like you have all the same genomes. Is it that you, you're now expressing different phenotype uh, types of uh, that same genome? And or the, the way I see it is like, the, the eggs are all causing a an immune response within each and every one of you. But mm-hmm. how you express it is, like, pretty individualized. I mean, of course, you know, you, 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 you is, uh, sound, it sounds like you, ha- you have a response in the inter, uh, intergrudimentary system. 
your brother sounds like he's having you in the uh, cardio pul- uh, pulmonary. Uh, mm-hmm. Your mother is having it in the uh, uh, gastrointestinal, uh, you know, systems. So I'm just thinking, wow. I mean, the, the fact that the, the, the immune uh, uh, system is basically kind of responding in three different types of uh, physiological uh, systems. Yeah. So. It's it's, a, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? It's really interesting to me. And, and unfortunately, you know, like that's, I guess that's one of the reasons why it, it is the human body is pretty complex. And when you're like, I guess a health and fitness type of a uh, writer or uh, you're trying to promote a certain product, that's one truth that you probably don't want to kind of uh, put, you know kind of exactly. talk about because exactly. it's it, it it kind of means that we can't simplify things because things are really pretty complicated so therefore i can't sell this that's, one size fits all type of approach that's exactly the problem is if you have a product and you want to sell that to everybody you have to tell everybody that that product is going to work for them and in reality that is not the case so you want to hide the reality you want to be like this green smoothie is the best thing in the world for every human being. You know, Mm -hmm. this CrossFit workout is the best thing in the world for every human being. Oh, or even how some doctors irresponsibly prescribing pain medications or even like just using um, just aspirin or Tylenol, you know, without proper diagnosis or, or actually seeing what's going on. And they just said, you know what? Oh, you're having pain. Let me just put you up on a pain cutter. And and I'm just thinking, what the hell? Seriously? Seriously? That's, that's well, all you can do? The funny thing is that any symptom, whether it's pain or it's another type of symptom, is your body's way of saying this isn't right. You need to fix something. Mm-hmm. And so when you put, put, when you press the mute button on the symptom, you're now operating blind, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I don't, I mean, look, I've used painkillers before because there are certain things that. Yeah, it, it was, it need, you needed to use it in that particular yeah. instance. But at there the same was time. A, a toe injury I had that was, um, you know, when you're experiencing that type of pain, you know exactly what it is and you, your body just needs time to heal. For the mm-hmm. But what I am mostly speaking to is if you have like if you have a headache for instance Mm -hmm. um, that can be caused by a variety excuse me a variety of things and for me I typically get headaches when I don't drink enough water and so for me I'm like because I know that about myself um you know it's like oh I didn't get enough I didn't drink enough water or I didn't get enough sleep that's why I have a headache. Why don't I just do those things? Why don't I just drink some water, take a nap, and the headache's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of muting my body, you're basically, like, shoving a big old piece of duct tape a- across the mouth of your body and saying, you, shut up. We're going to do what we want. <laughs> Taking your body hostage. <laughs> Get out of me. Yeah, I mean, like, unfortunately... Oh, that, that's, Would you that, ever do that to another human being? Like, say you were on a road trip with me, and mm-hmm. I was like, Cassandra, I need some water. Would you be like, shut up, you? 
<laughs> no. That's what we do to our own bodies, you know, people in the world. It's it's like, oh, you're trying to tell me something? Shut up. I'm not going to listen to it, you know, instead of just being like, oh, okay, I have a headache. What I don't need is a painkiller. What I do need is water or rest or food or whatever it is. I mean, if you use your brain for a minute, usually you can figure out why you have a headache. Do you think that some people are are just copping out because they they just kind of want to be lazy about actually taking the time to think and and actually be able to, like, say, hey, you know, there is probably a problem. Let's try to, you know, uncover it and fix it. And maybe in some people it just is, I don't know, it seems like just they don't give a crap. I think that we've all been conditioned to just be like, oh, you have a headache, you take a Tylenol or an aspirin. Mm. Like, it's just like, we weren't, we weren't, nobody was saying, oh, you have a headache. Maybe you didn't drink enough water. Maybe you're overtired. Maybe you need to eat something. Like, we weren't told those things growing up, you know? Like, people weren't, that wasn't the dialogue. It wasn't like, oh, that's what it, well, that's what the solution is. The solution that we were presented with when we would say, I have a headache, other human beings would be like, oh, here's an ibuprofen. Instead of like, oh, why don't you drink some water and see if it goes away? Or like, why don't you go lay down and rest for a minute? Or have you eaten? When was your last meal? You know what I mean? Like those weren't the options that were presented somewhere along the line. It was like, oh, we don't have to like go through the trouble of figuring out what the options are. We can just make a shortcut because we created these drugs. But we lost with that shortcut. We lost the ability to to solve it in any other way so now it's just the shortcut instead of being like oh i don't really need the shortcut right now i just need to know why my body's reacting this way yeah i mean definitely it sounds like that's actually the state of uh, our our science a lot of uh, the health and science uh field i mean actually if well health uh health uh, uh, basically health and fitness it's it's really like a really small kind of it's not even a proper science because the thing is that's the t- a typical approach it, it, it takes. Oh, something kind of uh, they observe a certain data and therefore oh this, this gets a certain result. Therefore, okay, we we'll just throw uh, throw uh, this as the solution, even though we don't even ask okay why is this actually happening or start asking deeper questions. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, like for example, remember how in the the low the low fat diet was uh, promoted with Ansel Keys' uh, research, and he just only co- uh, collected observational data only, and therefore, yeah. and and there, instead of actually asking deeper questions, he he just he basically took a stance of I'm right. Anybody who uh, who is uh, questions my uh, my research and, and science is wrong and stupid and invalid. Right. So I'm just thinking, okay, well, what about the, all the people who kind of suffered from doing a low-fat diet? What about them? Yeah, they did suffer too. It took it took it. It was a lot on. Like actually, it started like say even as start taking hold in the 80s, right? And now it's it. Has it has it completely died out? I'm not exactly sure about the uh, the low-fat uh, craze. It started in the 80s, 
90s. I I think it started peaking in around the 2000s, right? Or Yeah, 90s and 2000s probably, but so many people have are still suffering the health consequences oh, of following that advice, you know? Oh yeah. Like they're, they're still suffering. <sighs> and and I'm just thinking, wow, you know, like that was kind of like making recommendations based on just only observation is I I I did I don't know what to say but that's highly irresponsible. I, I it's just it's kind of like saying um hey, I I discovered that doing this particular diet like for example, I I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate with uh with it but oh I lost uh, uh, quite a bit amount of weight doing a vegan raw food type of diet. So therefore, doing a vegan raw food type of diet must be good and healthy, and I and everybody should do it. I'm pretty sure you've heard that kind of even yeah. happening even I mean, in in LA now. It's like it's just it's, the, the mistake there is when people equate weight loss with health. I mean. Duh, you can lose a lot of weight having cancer. Is that healthy? Oh, no. Jesus Christ. So sometimes, I'm actually, most of the time, weight loss is not, is not equal, does not equal health. It's not congruent. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's what most people are kind of conditioning into, right? You lose weight, therefore, must be good. But I, I'm not even exactly sure where this mentality actually came from. I, I probably still have to research uh, research it up, but it's it's still pretty pervasive. I mean, that's one reason why I think I've heard some people are willing to even try a vegan diet just because of that. Yeah. And yeah. Or, or actually, to, to to be able to try any diet at all because of promises of weight loss. I know that, and that's the thing. We got to get away from this like mentality that we should be on diets, and that the goal to be healthy is weight loss. Like that, just you know, the goal should just be be healthy. Support your body. Give your body the the support it needs to be as healthy as possible, to work and to function optimally. It's not about how much you weigh. I I think we it, it this becomes kind of like a a new uh, I I know it's kind of like a, a little esoteric, but you know trying to define what health is because everybody's now kind of equating losing weight, uh, uh, losing weight, vegan, you know, green or eco-friendly as healthy, where in some cases, no, that's not what healthy is. We have to, I'm just thinking we might have to be able to actually find what is a good definition of health to be able to actually mm -hmm. start saying, okay, yeah. we should start moving in this direction because we actually know what health is. But I don't even know uh, currently if people, even normal laymen, uh, laymen actually understand what health is. You know. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that they even that most people even really think about health and what health is. They they equate health to being a certain size and looking a certain way. I'm like, that's just not it's not the reality, you know. Oh yeah. It doesn't, you know. What somebody looks like is not is not the biggest factor in how healthy their body is. And then, unfortunately, it, we just live in a, a very image uh, image driven type mm -hmm. of society, right? I mean, for for example, we uh, we've already seen like social studies how 
you know, people who look a certain way, they can get away with a lot of things. They have a certain, a certain amount of privilege. And that's one thing Mm -hmm. that isn't really overly discussed or talked about that if you look a certain way, you know, like people will listen to you or people will treat you better or et cetera, et cetera. And I realized that, you know, okay, you know, for example, I'm pretty sure uh, I just, I, Hopefully Jay doesn't hate me for this, but, um, you know, Jay Vincent, right? It, it within mm-hmm. our, uh, within the hit, uh, circles. Yeah. He probably got, ends up getting a lot of, uh, people listening to what he says because he looks like, he just looks insane, you know, compared yeah, to yeah. like regular people like us. You know, we just kind of like, uh, we're kind of normal. I consider us normies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's also how you market yourself because um, I'm turning 40 this year and um, I no, you don't look 40. Yeah. I yeah. Really nice um, I could wear a bikini and take pictures of it and people would be like, Whoa, what are you doing? You're 40. Can't believe it. Uh, but I just choose not to market that way. Yeah. Um, it's just a personal choice and, and there's nothing wrong with, Either way, but that's not really the products that I'm selling. So, um. oh, the the fact is, you know, in general, like you you are trying to, I guess, lead by example of showing how you're pretty much functional and healthy. You look great, period. Yeah. So, so I'm pretty sure that in itself kind of like speaks. It should speak volumes. I mean, you know. It, it it just seems to me like age is just a number, you know. Yeah. If, if, yeah. If, if that makes any sense, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm trying to find the words that to, to, to kind of describe that. I think it absolutely makes sense. I think that um, my body is a lot younger than 40, even though it's 40, um, because of the way that I care for myself Mm. because I found this type of strength training and I studied nutrition very early on. So I was able to care for my body in a way that when compared to other uh, people turning 40 this year, it's not, um, you know, it, it, it isn't the same type of care that we were, we were providing for ourselves. So that's, that's the biggest factor. And I think that there are some, fitness professionals and nutrition professionals who sell their services or their products by basically using their own body to bring in clients or customers. And I would like to, like, I, I would like to approach, uh, I basically, I, I want to teach people that it isn't about what you look. Your health isn't based on what you look. Mm-hmm. And so me having a really nice body at age 40 and like showing my abs and a picture is not going to be like that shouldn't be what brings you into my studio. It should be wanting to be better for you, like have, you know, be a healthier version of you, take better care of your body, not compare yourself to me and where I'm at and who I am um, or try to resemble me in any way. You know, there are clients that we work with who have nicer figures than I have, who are stronger than I ha- I am. 
Um, and then there are, you know, those who aren't or whatever. And it's it doesn't really matter. It matters that we're taking the best care of our individual body that we possibly can. And that's what you that's what matters. So, yeah, I don't I don't want to use my body as a marketing tool. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm trying to teach people exactly the opposite. Empowerment. Empowerment. Yes, exactly. Personal empowerment. I mean, (laughs) in a sense that if if even, I I would basically even go as far to say that every body, every body has its own unique special features and and just kind of like, you know, in a way, cat should be really celebrated because it it kind of brings me back into the a whole idea of you know back in in the days of hunter gatherer tribes. You know there were there were different types of bodies, right? Which e- each of us had different types of functions and uh, and suitabilities. I'm not sure. I know this is gonna sound a little geeky, but you know, like in um, multi mass online role playing games. Or mm-hmm. MMORPGs, they they have different classes and they have different uh, attributes and different strengths and different things. Like for example, yeah. some people are going to be naturally what I consider tanks. You know, they 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 can yeah. go in there and like like do some really heavy work. Some people are going to be more nimble and much more uh, quicker right. and you know uh, good for scouting or something. Some people are going to be more on the I, I, you could say brainier side or much more kind of like not as athletic, but you know, mm-hmm. like the, you know, if you need them to be able to figure certain things out, yeah, they, they can, they can do it and they can do it efficiently. And just, just this, these massive amounts of differences. I'm just thinking in, in you know, if you really look at, at a, a whole scheme of things, it's because all of those different type of, uh, uh, of differences it's why we uh, human beings were able to survive for so for so very long, right? <laughs> and I yeah. and, and the fact is now society is just only kind of prioritizing and kind of worshiping only maybe a select few of these phenotypes, and yes, you, you, you kind of notice that, right? Absolutely, and. That's the thing is, like, I spent a lot of my youth earlier in my life um, wishing that my body was something different than it was. And when I shifted my mindset into thinking about how I could care for my body and I started to appreciate my body for what it is and what it looks like and what it gives me and what I'm good at and what it you know, what it does, then you can free yourself from that. I would describe it as a prison of wanting to be something that you're not wanting to want, you know, and and being able to be like, okay, this is me. I'm, you know, really good at, you know, I, I think when I was younger, I have really thick thighs because I have a big butt and it's always been like that, no matter how thin I am or how whatever. I'm that's just the shape of my body. And so, you know, in the nineties when I was growing up and it was like super um popular or like desirable to be um really thin. Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. Uh. Um it was like the Kate Moss body type or the Kate Moss body type with 
huge breast implants. Yeah, and or or and also the thigh gap. I I oh my god. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So like when that was going down and that was like what everybody was celebrating, I really wanted to change my body and and make my body a different body. Like I was just hating on it all the time. And once I I don't know, had some appreciation for the beauty of my body and the functionality of my body, I was able to start to just take really good care of it. And my perspective changed, you know? And then, oddly enough, the culture changed. And now, like, a, a big butt is, like, what people want. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I n- noticed, you know, the, the whole uh, current but, trend. But I'm, I'm guessing also it is, it is, you know, like, these things uh, of what's desirable is constantly change. But the fact is, like, you – you know, you were able to break away from, you know, that, that I'm not good enough. I, I'm not yeah. desirable enough. I'm not worth, uh, worth enough. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us, uh, you know, like, especially, uh, uh, young women have been taught that we are not good enough. That's why a lot of us, I guess, can say develop eating disorders. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. I, I had a horrible, horrible time of, body image and 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 even Hmm. eating disorders and you know going through bulimia anorexia and just you know getting caught with a vicious cycle where I had a really toxic relationship with food yeah I think that um I think that you're the exception to the rule if you have a a woman specifically who has a positive relationship with food, that exception to the last point. I think that typically those people have either had um, mentors or, um, you know, important figures in your in their lives who had positive relationships with food and body that were able to teach them that at a young age, or it's things like you have done where you've healed yourself. And so you've gotten to a place where you have oh, a yeah. nurturing, positive relationship with food and body, but you don't start there. Oh, in our culture, you don't start there. It's, it's been you know, absolutely hellish. Cool. It's been absolutely hellish. I mean, the way yeah. I did it, I, I got really desperate. I got really super desperate. You know, so, yeah. well, what well, do you think? And becoming a huge nerd. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is that um, that's why it's so important to teach people that it's not about what you look like. And that's why I describe it a prison. It's like you're, so much of your energy goes toward wanting your body to look different and it's not why we're all supposed to look different we're all supposed to be different we're all supposed to be unique and special in the way that we are and I look at human beings all the time Um, I look at human beings that by all modern definitions of society are supposed to be unattractive and I don't see unattractive I see people who are very beautiful in a lot of different ways and it do, we don't have to conform and, and that's kind of like I guess a mission of mine is if by by having this view that we don't have to conform to these beauty standards if I have that view and I teach every person who knows me who sees something of mine who works with me who's a friend of mine I teach them that way of thinking of that we're all beautiful and special in our own way and we don't have all of the same um, then 
I feel like that has an impact that ripples out. And that is the reason I don't use body to sell personal training or to sell nutrition services like so many others do is because that's not what my goal is for humanity. My goal for humanity is, you know, I think a lot of times when fitness professionals um, or nutrition professionals use their body to sell their services, it's like, look how great I look. If you want to look like me, you'll do what I do and basically hire me or buy my product. And for me, like, I know, number one, the reality is you're not going to look like me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not going to look like me. You're going to look like you in good health. So that's the goal, you know. So I don't want to perpetuate that fallacy of like, oh, if you come to the same shop, you're going to look like Melinda. No, you will not. You will look like a really strong, amazing version of yourself. Um, or if you, you know, follow uh, my teaching or, or help me, edu- you know, hire me to educate you about nutrition, you're going to look like me. No, you're not. You're going to look like you. You're going to be a healthier version of you, you know. And I want that message to ring loud, loud and clear. So I don't want to use advertising that goes against that message. And I want everybody to understand that. And if I can make a small impact in the world to bring about that realization to humanity, then I'm going to do that. Even if it means that I have clients or customers, then my competition or whatever who is, you know, posing in a bikini. That's, you it know, is what it is. yeah, it is what it is. That's just, that's a beautiful statement. I mean, this is a, a beautiful, beautiful mission. And to be honest, I'm actually really kind of empowered by that particular that, uh, that message. So I have to say, thank you, Melinda. I mean, that's a really beautiful yeah. message. <laughs> I mean, because typically, even if you see the stuff, uh, the fitness and uh, the exercise program that's even targeted towards women, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't, okay, want to say, uh, you know what? I was just basically saying, and anyways, for example, like Brett Contreras, and he's been well known for as the glute guy and how he's kind of ser- very obsessive on trying to sh- sell a particular image about what an ideal woman is. And I'm just kind of like, you know, most of us, we're not going to look like, like that. And this is just in the fact that he's kind of like having the, these displays and in a display and it's Instagram, it kind of like, it pisses me off. I, I, I'm, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? I want to, you know, change, uh, change, change it because, you know, like, th- this isn't what resistance training should be for women. This, is, I mean, that is based only on our looks. It should all be on other things like our health. And, you know, like, to be honest, like, Melinda, I, I, I really thank you for that, that beautiful message is because it is the direction that I want to take, uh, take is the direction that I want all other women yeah. around the world to be able to feel. Yeah. What's funny is I'm looking at. Hmm? I did not know who we were talking about. Oh right. my god! So I had to look him up while you're. Yeah, good guy. Yeah, you'll you'll see what I mean. Yeah. What's funny is that um, with a lot of products that I see advertised, I get so many fitness and nutrition products advertised to me on Facebook because I guess they're like saying, "Oh, you're interested in this, so that's what you're gonna see the advertisements for." Um, that it's funny that like a lot of times these professionals are um, miseducating to sell their products. And so that's what I see a lot of. Um, and I don't know anything about this guy. Oh, um, let's just say that there's some really bad rumors now, or not even rumors, but some confirmed cases that he he's not necessarily a nice character. 
Let's just say that's the nicest way I can put it. Okay. Well, yeah, like, it's, um, it's, like, it's, uh, there, there have been other things that I've seen, not, I haven't seen any of this guy's stuff or his advertising, but there's been other products that I've seen advertised on Facebook where you're like, okay, like, oh, okay, so one woman today was advertising for her products. Mm-hmm. She's got, like, routines. You can basically be in her membership group, and she's got routines, and she was talking about how if you do different exercises, it builds your stomach to go out and not into your body. And I'm like, dude, what? that's like you're making you're making crap up now. Like you're just making stuff up. Like she was like, if you don't do the exercise like this, like basically her way, you'll build your stomach muscle to go out of your body. And I'm like, dude, that's not real. That's not, that's not like, like factual. It's just there's no regulation in what people are allowed to say, and I find it to be ethically reprehensible that you would deliver. I'm hoping that a lot of these people are just ignorant and they don't know that their saying is not actually correct. Um, but to, to deliberately spread misinformation to sell a product, I think, is reprehensible, and there should be some way to stop it. Um but, but yeah, yeah that, that and, and that, and I don't know if you've noticed this trend, but there's a lot of business professionals that so obviously have had a lot of cosmetic work done. <sighs> and you're like, wait, what? What are we talking about here? Like, especially the, the fitness professionals that are like, love your body, body positivity. And I'm like, you have had so much work done. What is this message? You know what I mean? How, what are we doing here? It gets... Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely like cases where yeah, you know, some women got some work done, men potentially on some illegal substances, you know? Yeah. Right. And I'm just thinking, huh, huh. And you know, it's, it it just kind of gets to the point where like they they are seen as experts, and I'm just thinking, how are they experts? They made shit up. How can you be an expert in shit in shit you make up? They're experts at paying for plastic surgery or using um, steroids. <laughs> like, right? Okay. Oh, I, I don't even consider them experts at even doing those things. I'm pretty sure that even the ones who are experts, they'll at least say, hey, you know, if you do this, this, this is good, probably going to end up happening, right? Some side effects or et cetera, et cetera. Right. And uh, here's the dosages. I mean, that's assuming, you know, like they, they are the experts because in the sense that they did research, they undergone it uh, through it, right? And they know that there are risks. But in this case, it's kind of like, they're not really even experts. They're just kind of like, it's like saying, oh, you know, uh, I, I rode in a car once. Now I'm a drive, a NASCAR driving professional. Right. What? Yeah. Or no, I just look good in the driving uniform. Therefore, I'm a professional. What? <laughs> and unfortunately, a lot of people are just kind of like, they believe in this. And, yeah. and it's just, oh my god, just, you can see how, like, it's basically a wild west, and just kind of, it's, it's one of the reasons why I actually wanted to start this kind of, uh, this podcast, and I'm doing this interview, is because I wanted to even touch upon this, and just kind of talk with real people, and to be yeah. able to dispel, dispel a lot of things, so, I, 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 that's why I particularly also kind of, asked you if you want to and I and I'm really grateful with your your time and the fact that you're actually willing to do this so 
I, oh, yeah, 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 I mean, so I, I also kind of want to uh, wrap it up, uh, soon enough and just wanted to ask if you have any closing thoughts or anything that you basically wanted to state anything about this, uh, even our current affairs or current state of just pretty much anything like as closing thoughts. Uh, good question. I think that the biggest, like the, 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 the thing that I would love people to take away from this is, you know, what we were talking about most recently. It isn't really about like, yeah, everybody wants to look and feel right, mm-hmm. but that's, that's the happy side effects of taking really good care of your body for, and I think it speaks to what we're dealing with now. I mean, we are in a global health emergency. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know, worldwide, all businesses closed. People are like quarantined in their homes. Like it's um, an, a, a pandemic. Like we're in a global health crisis. And if we should be taking away anything from this moment in history, which is going to go down as a hugely historical period of time, um, is that our health is the most important thing in the world. It's more important than how much money you can make. It's more important than, you know, anything is the health of your body because without the health of your body, you have nothing. You're dead. So, or close to dead. And so, you know, that should be your focus when you're taking care of your body with the, you know, the, side effect being how great you feel as a result, how wonderful you look as a result, how amazing you look in that pair of pants or that dress as a result. So it's really about loving yourself and taking care of your body for the enjoyment of your life, for, you know, for the longevity that you'll receive from it. And whether or not you have, the most enviable physique of, you know, the world at large is not really the important thing. And and I think approaching something from that, you grow to love who you are and what your body looks like in a way that is much deeper and can lead to better results. Because when we truly love our bodies and we want to care for them, we're willing to make those healthy choices. We're willing to go to those personal training appointments or, you know, perform those exercises that we know are going to be, you know, good for the body. So the more you love yourself, the more willing you are to make healthy choices. The more you love the body that you're living in, the more you make those healthy choices, the more you will love the body you're living in because it will look the way you want it to look. That makes sense. Definitely. It's basically a message is, hey, you're worth it. So start loving yourself. You're worth it. Yeah. You're worth it. And and everything that you want as far as the looks department comes from a result of, you know, as a result of the decisions you make when you love yourself and you make the decisions based on that love. See how powerful love is? Yeah, it's so powerful. (laughs) And uh, I, I basically I love yeah. you. That's what. <laughs> oh my god, that's just that's just such a powerful, uplifting message. And 
basically a, a really good closing thought uh, uh, because, you know, like, I, I'm basically going to wrap up this uh, inter- interview and basically kind of stop it right here. But the fact that you close on such a powerful message and, and thought, especially that of love, it's just, I find it just pretty profound and significant. But yeah, you know, it, it, especially, it, <laughs> especially in the times. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and yeah. you know, like maybe just uh, uh, after this, you know, whole event pretty much blows over, and we uh, look back and I, I look back into this uh, particular po- uh, podcast that I did with you. I was just thinking, man, that was actually a really profound message that Melinda actually gave, and like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right so like you know like kudos kudos to you Camilla. <laughs> i like it it's gonna be good but other than that i guess we can just say we can wrap it up from here and just yeah. um uh, I, hope that, I i hope that people get a lot out of this podcast and i'm sure there's gonna be many more as your out of this particular episode and i hope i know there's gonna be many more that we do together as your podcast as a whole kind of evolves. I'm yeah, excited yeah, for you. Yeah, maybe. I and mean, like, I, hopefully yeah. I just, you know, I end up doing a lot more and just kind of, you know, really, I just want to get this information and good positive messages and write info to just people in general. And yeah, the fact is that, you know, me interviewing uh, you and you doing these closing thoughts is kind of like, this is the, the exact direction I want to take this. Right. So, I, you know. Yeah. But other than that, I guess uh, we can wrap up. Uh, this is has been the Stronger for Life podcast. And, you know, Melinda, where can we find you on, um, uh, I guess, uh, well, nowadays, I, we, we can't, we can't I, really physically visit you. But, you know, we, where could we basically find you? Where can you find me on all the social medias? So... On Instagram, mm-hmm. at the Strength Shop, mm-hmm. and Shop is spelled Shoppy. <laughs> at Strength Shoppy, um, and then you could also go to the Shoppy dot com, S H O P P E. And then on Facebook, we have the Strength Shop for Pasadena. We have the Strength Shop for Echo Park. You can always follow us at one of those places. Um, we do have a Twitter, but I'm not very active on Twitter. So yeah, and then we have a YouTube. We have the Strange Shop YouTube. Oh yeah, channel. yeah. So follow the YouTube channel because that's where some good stuff is, and um, and then of course on your podcasts. Oh yeah, well, I'll, I'll list I'll list all the all, all the stuff that you know all the links that you want me to list. I'll put it on to the the show okay. notes and and basically go from there. But other than that, I think that 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 kind of covers it, doesn't it? Okay, perfect. Okay, all right. And thank you for listening. And, you know, hopefully you enjoy this podcast. And, you know, I hope you stick around.